This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to Legend of the Bones. Following in the footsteps of giants, Legend of the Bones is a chimera. A mix of old school tabletop RPG and dark fantasy storytelling. As its name might suggest, in Legend of the Bones the dice rule. There'll be no rerolls, no fudging the dice, no meta currency. The roll of the bones will determine the character's destiny and no one will be spared their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone. Last time on Legend of the Bones. The party were en route to the mining community of Four Rivers when the wagon fell into a pothole. After pushing the wagon free, the party were ambushed by two giant spiders. In the fight that followed, Phelan was savagely bitten on the neck and poisoned. The party defeated the spiders, but Phelan spent the next two days recovering from the effects of the venom. During his delirium, Phelan had a vision of his master, Amos Ap Howan, who mentored him through the casting of a new spell. On the fourth day after leaving Housestone, the party came across a waterfall which cascaded into a pool that was enclosed with an ancient stone circle. The companions inspected the pool more closely, and Phelan believed that the water in the pool possessed a magical effect. The mage proceeded to drink some of the water which healed his wound. This moment of wonder was shattered as they heard Jago scream. The carter was being chased by the Terror of Tainmore, a huge black hellhound. Jago was dragged to the ground and mauled as the companions ran to his aid. In the fight that followed, Beric was badly bitten on the thigh before the creature was slain. But whether Jago escaped with his life remains to be seen. Chapter 9 Part 1 Day 17 Midday. Party status. Beric, 5 out of 9 hit points. Lena, 6 out of 6 hit points. Kia, 4 out of 4 hit points. Valen, 4 out of 4 hit points. Spells available. There are no spells available. For a moment, the companions stared at the still corpse of the monstrous black hound. Its body cleaved and the fire that had burned in its red eyes extinguished. As they looked upon it, wisps of black fog began to seep from the creature's nostrils and mouth, and soon the body was completely obscured. A chill wind suddenly blew, and the companions were forced to cover their eyes as the fog swept up. But when the mist had dissipated, no trace remained that the hound had ever existed. Kia went over to the motionless and prone figure of Jago. The ground was dark with blood from a savage wound on the carter's throat, and the man's jerkin and skin on his back had been shredded by the hound's vicious claws. Kia knelt and placed his finger on Jago's neck. The rogue sighed before looking back to the companions and shaking his head. This is my fault, Phelan said. If I had not wished to stop, then Jago would still be alive. No. Lena insisted. You must not blame yourself. 
Lay us right, Valen. And neither would Jago hold you to blame. Kier added. Perhaps. But I should have known that the power in this place might attract something evil. What was it? Beric asked, wincing. I cannot be sure, but I have heard folklore of such a creature. A monstrous hound spewed from the depths of hell to prey upon the living. The legends call it the Terror of Tamor. And whilst we have sent it back from whence it came, it will surely find new paths back to stalk the mortal realm once more. Beric took a sharp intake of breath, and it was clear that the big man was in considerable pain. Come, Beric, let us attend to your wound. Beric allowed himself to be supported by Kier as he limped up the slope towards the pool. Gods, you're heavy, Kier commented. Beric half smiled and half grimaced at the rogue's jest. Once inside the stone ring, the big man slumped down against one of the boulders whilst Lena emptied her water skin and refilled it before handing it to Beric. The fighter drank deeply, and like Valen before him, Beric instantly felt the water's vitality flowing through his entire body as the pain in his leg evaporated. The Nine be praised! There was no hint of complacency in Lena's words, a look of wonder on her face. We should fill all our skins. That water will be useful, Keir suggested. Sure enough, the water here is pure, but I suspect that once the water leaves the ring, its healing properties are lost. Phelan replied. Well then, said Beric, who was back on his feet. There's nothing else for us here. Let us to four rivers. Poor Jago. He did have a chance of surviving the Hellhound's attack, but the dice were not on his side. With the bonus for attacking a fleeing enemy, netting off Jago's dexterity bonus, the Hellhound only needed to roll a 10 or more. I rolled this off Mike, and I got a 19. Then I rolled the damage, and I got a 6. If he had lived, then perhaps he might have joined the party, but I guess that was not meant to be. But let us now look forward because this episode is a significant milestone. All of our characters have reached level two. Now in some regards, the ascension to level two is perhaps the most important, because it takes the characters out of the one hit and killed territory, and this is particularly the case for magic users and rogues who start out terrifyingly weak. To remind you, in Legend of the Bones, I am not ascribing experience points or leveling up characters in the manner described in the basic expert rules. Instead, characters level up after 8 episodes until level 3, and every 10 episodes thereafter. With regard to leveling up, I am using a two-stage process for each character. Firstly, I'll roll hit point increases, though the roll will min out at 50%. For example, as a fighter, Beric's hit points will increase by 1d8, but a roll of 1, 2 or 3 will mean a result of 4. I think this approach will avoid the party being overpowered particularly against enemies of a similar level, and therefore will maintain a sense of threat and risk. Secondly, I think it is realistic that the character's ability scores may increase through experience. It makes sense that characters will become stronger, smarter, and more agile through their experiences, and therefore I am adopting a system of ability score advancement that I have seen elsewhere. 
Simply put, I will roll a d6 for each ability score, and if I roll a 6, then that attribute will increase by 1. However, no attribute will ever exceed a score of 18. There is of course one final step to levelling up, which will be to randomly roll any new spells gained by magic users. Okay, so let's start with Beric. First up, let's roll hit points. A 7. With his constitution bonus, Beric's hit points increase to a very impressive 17. And boy, is he going to need them in the days ahead. Now for ability score increases. Rolling a d6. Strength. A 2. Intelligence. 5. Wisdom. 5. Dexterity. 4. Constitution. A 6. That takes his constitution to 14. It doesn't affect his hit points, but I am not complaining. And Charisma. 5. Well, all in all, that was a good level up for Beric. Next up, Lena. Hit points. A 4. Lena's hit points increased to a very respectable 10. Now for ability score increases. Strength. 3. Intelligence. A 6. That raises Lena's intelligence to 11. Perhaps those long conversations with Valen have helped. Wisdom. 3. Dexterity. 1. Constitution. 4. And Charisma. Another 6. That takes her Charisma to 13, which will confer plus 1 to reaction rolls. I think this might reflect Lena becoming less stuffy and more open to others from differing backgrounds. That was a great result for Lena, but we are not finished yet, because in addition, as a second level cleric, Lena now has the ability to pray for miracles, or divine spells as they're sometimes known. The basic expert rules require the cleric to pray for specific miracles at the start of the day. This doesn't feel realistic to me. Surely a priest would pray for divine intervention in response to a specific event. Therefore, in Legend of the Bones, clerics are not required to select spells at the start of the day. They can pray for any of the available miracles at the point of needing it. However, they can only do so with the number of times specified by their level. This means that Lena can pray for one first level miracle once per day. I have some other house rules regarding clerics and divine magic, which I will explain as it comes up, but you can find all of my house rules at legendofthebones.blogspot.com. Now Lena has not yet realised that the Nine are watching her closely and listening to her prayers. Perhaps they wait for when her faith will be tested to answer her call. Okay, now to level up Kia. Hit points. A 3. The Rogue's hit points will increase to 7. That's a good result. Let's see whether he gets any ability score increases. Strength. 1. Intelligence. 5. Wisdom. 2. Dexterity. A 6. That takes Kier's dexterity to 14, which whilst it does not confer any additional bonuses, clearly all that practice with a bow has paid off. Constitution. 3. And Charisma. 1. As a rogue, Kier's thief skills will also improve, but as I am following the basic expert rules for this, I do not intend to go through them here. Finally, let's see what the dice hold for Valen. Hit points. 
A three. Like Kia, Valen's hit points will rise to seven. That was a good roll. Will he get any ability score increases like the others? Let's find out. Strength. Two. Intelligence. Two. Wisdom. Two. That's a shame, given that Valen has a penalty here. Dexterity. Three. Constitution. Three. And Charisma. Four. That is a little disappointing given that the others have benefited from ability score increases. However, let's not forget that Valen will receive an additional first level spell. If you have listened to episode 8, then you will have an inkling about what his new spell will be. I wanted to build Valen's acquisition of new arcane knowledge into the narrative, so I actually rolled the spell early in order to do so, and in the hope that he would survive long enough to acquire it. Through hours of study, Valen has learnt the spell Shield, which, if successfully cast, confers an ascending armor class of 15 against melee attacks and 17 against missile attacks on the mage for two turns, which equates to around 20 minutes. Okay, so there we have our first set of level ups. It will be another 8 episodes until they level up again, if that is, they survive that long. Only the dice will tell. Okay, time to get back to the story. Chapter 9 Part 2 Day 17 Early Evening Party Status Beric 17 out of 17 hit points Lena 10 out of 10 hit points Kia 7 out of 7 hit points Valen 7 out of 7 hit points Spells available There are no spells available The twins loomed like a behemoth over the mining community of Four Rivers as the sun on its westerly descent glistened like a million diamonds on the surface of Tain Lake. Four Rivers could not be described as a town, or even a village, for it was neither. Rather it existed with a singularity of purpose, but one which seemed to lack permanence. A dirt road ran north-south through the centre of the settlement, which was lined with simple timber dwellings on either side. Two buildings stood out among the others. A large structure, situated in the middle of the settlement on the west side of the road, was identified as an alehouse by the crudely painted sign which hung outside. The other was a thatched hall, which stood at the southernmost end where the road terminated. Kier now drove the wagon, which trundled down the strangely deserted road. Earlier, Beric had dug a grave for Jago close to the stone ring, and after Lena had administered last rites, they had laid the carter's body to rest. They had not much known Jago, but he had been good-humoured and generous, and he did not deserve his fate. It could not be described as a good death. The companions had not spoken since. Each kept their own counsel in quiet reflection. Lena was troubled. Her recent conversations with Valen, or what she had seen at the Pool of Healing, had made her feel uncertain. She could feel doubt gnawing at her. She had always been so sure in her faith. She had seen miracles. The divinity of the Nine made manifest on Erden. Was the Pool of Healing an example of this? A blessing bestowed by the gods? Or was it, as Valen would claim, some supernatural magic? Would that not be an anathema to the Nine? 
The church condemned sorcery. The brethren took this literally, of course. But conventional wisdom was that sorcery was unleashed upon the world by Mordgren, the Lord of Hell, and that those who practiced it were gambling with their immortal souls. Suffer not a witch to live. That was the scripture. She looked over at Valen. The mage, as usual, was studying his spellbook. Lena felt fascinated by him. His experiences were so unlike her own. She could sense that he was conflicted, but she also knew him to be kind. How then could she reconcile this with the teachings of the church? Her only answer was prayer. She would pray for the nine's guidance. She would reflect on their wisdom. At that moment, Keir brought the wagon to a halt outside the hall. <coughs> like the other buildings in Four Rivers, the hall was a timber structure. The window shutters and doors were closed, though the soft yellow glow of torchlight seeped through the gaps. The companions alighted the wagon and approached the doors. The murmur of voices could be heard from inside, but when Beric knocked on the door, they fell silent. Who goes there? A voice demanded from the other side of the door. We are sent by Brannock, Reeve of Halstone, to investigate the trouble here. Beric responded. There was some muffled chatter beyond, and presently the door was unbarred and opened. A man with a dirt-smeared face and soiled clothes stood at the door. He nodded his head to indicate the companions should enter, which they did. The hall was perhaps 30 feet long and 20 feet wide. There were no adornments. Clearly this was a functional building. Against each of the long walls was a row of benches, upon which sat men and women and even the occasional child. Others stood as the benches were crammed, and there must have been over a hundred people present. In the centre of the hall was a pit in which a small fire burned, beyond which was a man in his forties who was clearly in charge. The man had cropped grey hair that was receding and his face was lined. Standing next to him, to the surprise of the companions, was a dwarf. The dwarf's hair and beard were long and a rich chestnut colour, whilst his eyes, which were brown, seemed both youthful yet wise. The companions approached the pair, aware that all eyes were upon them. A few of the folk whispered to each other as they passed, but all fell silent as the man spoke. Welcome, I am Marvin, foreman of the Four Rivers Mine, the man said, a look of inquiry on his face. I'm Beric, the big man responded, and this is Lena, Kier and Valen. We are sent by Brannock of Halstone. Are there no more of you? Marvin asked, clearly concerned. No, the Reef cannot spare more men. We did accompany a carter, a man named Jago, but we were attacked on the road and he was killed. Well then, all is lost. The Gazetteer, Four Rivers. Four Rivers is a small mining settlement situated in the centre of the Tainwall and located on the eastern shore of Tain Lake, close to the hills known as the Twins. It is so called because of the number of rivers flowing into and from the lake. The settlement was established less than a decade ago after tin deposits were found in the North Tain River and the source traced back to the Twins. The former Lord Conwyn paid for the mine to be established and hired dwarven engineers to train the locals. Within three years, 
the mine was the biggest source of tin on the Powell and Moore Peninsula, bringing economic growth to the region and turning around the fortunes of the Conwyn family. The settlement is currently home to around 100 souls, mainly miners and a few other tradesmen plus their families, which is half the population at its height. The leader of the community is Marvin, the foreman, who has worked at Four Rivers since the mine was established. Marvin is assisted by brothers Torsten and Tostig, dwarves from the Iron Ridge Mountains. The brothers are the last of the dwarven engineers in Four Rivers, having stayed on after the others returned to their homeland. As is typical, the tinstone extracted from the mine is smelted at Four Rivers before the ingots are sent by river barge down the North Tane to Halstone. But its remote location and scarcity of other natural resources mean that the mining operation is highly dependent on supplies from the town. The success of the Four Rivers Mine has intensified the rivalry between neighbouring barons and the Conwyn family. In particular from the Polmere family, who own lands to the south including the town of Hale. Lord Polmere contests the lordship of the twins, despite the Conwyn's possession of a royal charter. Whilst this hostility has not yet led to open conflict, Brannock has long suspected that Lord Polmere has been responsible for the increased brigand activity in the Hartwood. In addition, Marvin has begun to suspect that in recent times, saboteurs have infiltrated his operation due to a number of unexplained accidents and cave-ins. If that wasn't enough, the Four Rivers Mine now faces an existential threat. Chapter 9 Part 3 Day 17 Evening Party Status The party status is unchanged. Marvin's status as foreman was not much reflected in his home, which is hardly indistinguishable from the other dwellings in the settlement, which in itself said something about the man. To say that his home was modest was an understatement, given his position. It consisted of three rooms two bedrooms and a living area which also served as a kitchen. The companion's arrival in Four Rivers and the news that they were fewer than was hoped had caused much consternation among the folk and the foreman had ordered them to disperse. Only the dwarf, Torsten, whom Marvin seemed to treat as an equal, had accompanied them to the foreman's home. Marvin's wife, a round woman with a kindly demeanour named Elsbeth, had prepared food and after they had eaten the foreman had laid a map of the mine out upon the table and began to explain the troubles facing Four Rivers. The situation is dire. The men are no longer prepared to enter the mine, Marvin stated. It began three weeks ago. The men work in crews of half a dozen. I had assigned a crew to work on a new face deep in the mine. The foreman pointed to a point on the map. We'd found evidence of a new vein there, so I sent one of my best men, Pevan, to lead them. There was nothing unusual about it, and the men set off in good spirits, but that evening none returned. Marvin paused for a moment. The next day I sent three more crews, again led by experienced men. With the tunnel being new, I thought perhaps they got lost on the way back. Underground it can be quite disorientating. Or humans, maybe. The dwarf interjected. Marvin seemed unconcerned by this interruption, as if he was used to the dwarf's manner. Aye, Torsten, Marvin said, acknowledging the dwarf's point before continuing. Anyhow, 
Two of the crews returned, having found nothing. But the third crew, the one that went to the new face, they never came back. Marvin sighed. And you found no trace of them? Beric asked. Marvin looked to Torsten. The dwarf cleared his throat before taking up the tale. This is one of those moments where I'm going to let the dice decide. I am going to use the simple D6 oracle to determine what happened when Torsten and Tostig went down the mine in search of the missing men. Firstly, I want to know whether they found any survivors. A six. That is a yes and. Okay, so now I want to know whether that survivor was injured. A four. That is a yes but. Hmm, okay. So were the two dwarves attacked by something in the mine? A four. That is a yes but. Okay, so now I want to know whether Tostig was killed in the attack. A five. That is a straight yes. Right. So let's find out what all that means. The dwarf looked grim as he recalled the events that he now relayed. <clears throat> After the second crew disappeared, my brother Tostig and I went in search. We dwarves can navigate easily underground, and our eyes have no need of torchlight. Torsten explained. We went alone. Taking others would have only slowed us. You humans cannot move as quickly underground. The dwarf scratched his beard with thick, stubby fingers before continuing. When we arrived at the new face, we found that the miners had broken through into a cavern. We stepped through the opening to investigate further and saw their tools and equipment strewn on the floor as if abandoned in a hurry. We began to search for some clue as to what had passed, and that's when we found a survivor. Torsten now looked pale. There was some remembered fear in his eyes. The man was in a bad way. He bore an evil wound to his stomach, and it was clear that he was near death. We gave him water. We tried to get sense out of him, but he was delirious, or else he had lost his mind. He passed there and then. A few minutes went by. Tostig and I were debating what to do next. Suddenly, something grabbed Tostig from behind. It was the dead man come back to life. It knocked Tostig to the ground, and before I could react, the thing was upon him. Torsten's voice was now thick with emotion. I cleaved his head with my axe, but it was too late. Tostig's throat had been torn out. My brother was dead. I waited. I knew I could not carry his body out of the mine, lest I be beset by enemies. Yet, I would not let him bear the same fate should it come. I waited for what seemed like hours, but it was probably only minutes. And in those minutes I prayed that Tostig might be spared the ignominy of undeath. But my prayers were left unanswered, and when my brother's corpse rose again, I cleaved his head also. Silence fell upon the room, and it was some time before anyone spoke. Eventually, Marvin cleared his throat. So you see, the mine is cursed. No man will walk there for fear of forsaking their immortal souls. The fate of four rivers 
and all those that depend on it, is in your hands. Thank you for listening to Legend of the Bones. If you like what you've heard, then please consider giving it a five-star review in your podcatcher of choice. Every review helps the show reach new listeners. I would like to welcome and thank this episode's voice talent. The role of Marvin was played by Jim Hurst. Thank you, Jim. Your contribution has really added to the show. You can help by liking or retweeting new episode announcements. You can contact me on Twitter at LegendBones, Instagram at LegendOfTheBones, email at legendofthebones at gmail.com or go to legendofthebones.blogspot.com for show notes, character profiles, maps and more. Join me next time to find out what awaits our adventurers as the bones decide their fate. None shall escape the destiny of bone.